0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. In season two, my colleagues and I walked you through what we believe are the eight tenets to drive meaningful, sustainable, and impactful change. In our last episode of that season. Episode 9, I summarize the highlights of each of these tenants and why it's important. But what does it mean to actually put these tenants to practice? During this season, we're inviting leaders that have firsthand experience navigating through various complex changes. We'll hear insights from them on how they've been able to motivate, inspire, and influence their workforce through some of those changes. As a reminder, or in case you missed season two, the eight tenets or principles that we believe drive meaningful and sustainable change in an organization include, one, building the case for change. So what is the purpose of this change and why should I care? Two, engaging your audience, having empathy for who is impacted and understanding how they're impacted. Three, crafting meaningful messages, or developing key messages and identifying appropriate delivery vehicles to ensure the right level of communications. Four, surfacing impacts or quote-unquote bracing for the impact, identifying the so what that's changing. When is it changing? How and when? Five, charting the course, all about building the plan and working the plan. Six, defining success metrics making sure you're putting in place some kind of tracking to show progress or gather information that is useful if you need to pivot from your plan. Seven, developing resiliency. What tools can you implement as leaders to create a resilient workforce in the face of changing winds? Eight, recognition and reward. Why it matters to people that they feel valued and what can you do to motivate people and influence people and nurture the behavior that you want to see in an organization. So for today, we're going to kick off our series and take a double click into that first tenet, the case for change. I'm particularly excited and honored to have with us today, Kevin Campbell. Kevin is the CEO of Synity, and Synity is a global enterprise data solutions provider specializing in data operations and data transformation. Prior to this role, Kevin has been at Accenture as a group chief executive officer and also the COO of Oscar Health. I'm super thrilled because Kevin has his own podcast as well, and I've had the opportunity to listen to his episodes, and he does a wonderful job bringing some stories around the importance of business transformation. First, I'll let Kevin introduce himself.
1: Thanks, Jennifer. And uh I'm excited to be on your uh on your podcast today, and certainly excited to talk about how to uh survive and thrive around change. I'll give you a little bit about myself first, as I have seven kids, they are my life's work, and I uh enjoy them tremendously. I also am blessed with a great partner we're building a continuing to uh to build a great life together, which is uh which is terrific. My background, as you said, I mean, I kind of started out with the traditional or certainly traditional for you systems integration background. So I started at Accenture and I I went there because I uh, grew up in Boston or went to school at Boston College. It was the time when all the tech firms were hot. And so I interviewed with Digital, Data General and quite a few other companies, all of which don't exist, Prime, Computer and so on and I went with Accenture. I had heard them talk in a couple of my classes and I was excited about how they thought that they could help clients. Um, I worked uh cause I needed money, like many of us through college, and worked in the shipyards. And so coming out of there, no surprise, my first job was in a shipyard working for Accenture and trying to, to drive change and help them. That got me into aerospace and defense, it was a, a time that that was growing, and certainly in New England and around the world. And so that was a very exciting time for me. And that kind of shaped, I saw a lot of people that wanted to change, people that didn't want to change, it shaped a lot of the thinking. And uh, as you so kindly said in the beginning, my last position at Accenture was I ran all of delivery for Accenture Worldwide. I had about 150,000 people that reported to me. And certainly for me, my whole career is either helping clients change or trying to change the organizations. I retired early from Accenture because I got tired of being in a different country every week, Uh, wanted something more stable, worked for Ray Dalio to do something different as a co-COO. I went to Oscar Insurance to help them scale and then did some startups and then ended up here. Uh, at Siniti, formerly back office associates, uh, and took over CEO about two and a half years ago. So that, that brings me up to today and what I'm about. If you look at the one common thing in my background is scaling, right? And I love change. I always say about people, there's only two things people don't like, which is the way things are and change. So once you realize that you're going to make them, uh, you know it's it's a, a choice as to how you want to make them unhappy, so keep working it.
0: I love that, and by the way, I heard that on one of your recent podcasts, and I wrote it down because I said i'm going to borrow this quote. This is a good one as someone who knows that people dislike the way things are and change, it would be fair to say that Kevin has dealt with a lot of people and a lot of changes. He relays the good and the bad, and the ugly.
1: The career I've had, whenever I got a job, it was to make changes and to not do stuff the same ways, because usually you don't get a new job if the other person was doing perfect unless they get promoted. And in my cases, most of the time, it was because something wasn't uh, working or something needed to be turned around. What I learned was that What's obvious to you or obvious to the person you work for, the people you work for, might not be obvious to everybody else when it comes to change. So that you always have to establish why why am I trying to do something.
0: This discrepancy between those who believe something is obvious and those who don't pick up on it can cost a department's livelihood. Kevin speaks on a hard lesson he learned about establishing the reason for change.
1: When I had left Accenture, I uh, went to a company called Exult. We had a mission. We were growing. It was outsourcing HR. I went back to Accenture when uh, my long-term mentor, Bill Green, became the CEO. And I went back and uh, he said, here's $2 billion of profitless revenue. Now, everybody that was in that business didn't think things were bad. You know, They thought they were doing good work and stuff. But if you stepped back, it wasn't making any money. And it wasn't getting where Accenture wanted to be. What might have been obvious to Bill, to Mike McGrath, to Pam Craig wasn't obvious to everybody else. And so we had to establish the why we need to change. And that why we need to change continues on. And in fact, I was reflecting earlier this week when I put a new leader in an EMEA. You know, our EMEA team had not had a good uh, year and had not had a good, actually, 18 months. And the previous leader, who did a great job leading them on up to the point where they got to, basically came to me and said, Kevin, I need something different, right? Um, I don't think I'm the right leader. And I said, well, the fact that you don't think you're the right leader probably says that we need to do something different. And so I went, did a search, hired somebody new and brought them in. And what I was telling him this week when we were talking was that, you know, a year later I reflect the fact that I did him a disservice because it was so obvious to me. And this is what I think mistake we make as leaders. It was so obvious to me, the unit hadn't made plan. Their software was shrinking. Their services numbers were shrinking. It was blindingly obvious that things needed to change, but down in the organization, They didn't realize that they thought it was a good environment. They were getting paid. They were doing good work at clients. Everything was great. So why did we need to change? And so that shows that, you know, even though I wasn't the one that was being making the change, the new leader, Jules, was the one who was making the change. I didn't set him up properly by establishing the need and the reason for change.
0: Kevin gives another example.
1: Recently did um, the largest merger in the company's history, the largest acquisition merger transaction in the company's history. And again, I spent a whole bunch of time, you know, acquisitions, 50% of them fail, right? And they fail for all kinds of people reasons. Most of them are people, but that all starts from the why do we want to do this? You know, we had been able to with great teamwork and the excellent team I have and the help of other people had been able to turn the business around and we were headed in the right direction, right? From being flat and going down to you know quarter on quarter growth. And the, so the question was, why did we need to do something different? And so what we did, and it came through with the other CEO and I, lots of discussions. We both knew right away why we wanted to do it, but we had to write it down and we had to translate it. In a message that would resonate with the people, why it's good for them and why it was better for the growth. I believe all people want to be part of winning teams and want to be part of companies that are growing. Uh, And generally, that's true. But if you don't talk to people about how whatever you're doing leads to growth or how it's going to make it a better place when they're there and why, especially in MA, it means more opportunities, not less you're setting yourself up for a difficult slug. m as are difficult regardless, but this sets us up for once we've got that case to change, now we can introduce the idea and now we can get both teams better.
0: That emphasis on collaboration was so strong, it can be seen in Sinity's slogan, Better Together. That phrase isn't just the title of a Luke Combs song. It's a key part of successful change in an organization. Another aspect that idea of collaboration and cooperation within a company has to do with the narrative of change. In other words, what you communicate and how you communicate to the rest of the organization can have a large impact on the transformation of itself. Kevin explains his process of understanding others in the organization and how that influences his messaging.
1: I go about it by looking at doing two different things. I try to put myself in as many different people's shoes as I can and say to the best of my ability, understanding what's in their shoes, why is this good for them? It's all comes back to the, you know, the old whiffum, right? What's in it for me. And so I try to think about and just jot down on paper, right? And then iterate it over time different people in the organization, fellow executives, the board, the person who's on the front line dealing with whatever your production issues are, whether it's building systems or integrating systems or working with data, what does it mean to them? And then look at the people in the frozen middle, right? Which is often the most difficult group to move is, you know, how do I tell them why we need to change and what we're going to do? And so my first half is the Put myself in their shoes and think about it. And then my second half is I like to get myself in a bad mood or find myself in a bad mood and then say, what are all the snarky things that everybody's going to say? What are all the negatives they're going to say about this? And it's this is only about the executives is the, you know, is the number one or this company's taking us over or this is going to be good for these five people and bad for these Whatever the negatives you can come up with, and I'm sure that's probably not the most positive way to do it, but I find it on any subject if I can think through all the negatives and think about use that to now put produce another list of what's the answers to those questions, and then I look at those two lists: what's in it for people, and what are the negatives, and from there I usually try to then develop three to five slides that talk about what that case for change is. And then, of course, like most of us, we then go to the people that are closest to us and some random audiences and try it on them and say, does this make any sense to you?
0: That's interesting. I I love the, first of all, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes is an activity that is so important and I think is often overlooked in our busy, fast-paced lives. We're always surrounded by the thing that you have to get done and what you're aiming at, that often we don't have the opportunity to pause and really think about how is this going to land with somebody. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's the importance of taking a step back and empathizing with others. In particular, I love Kevin's suggestion about placing himself in a bad mood and seeing the change through a negative lens. But did Kevin's process actually work? Was he able to rally people around the vision of change?
1: It certainly helped us refine the messaging. When I look back on for this particular merger, the messaging we started with versus the messaging we ended with, it changed quite a bit. And that all came from feedback from people about what was important and what they heard a lot of us as leaders sometimes forget we don't have 360 views about what's going on and we don't understand what's on everybody's mind so by testing the messaging right and moving then you keep moving it along teaming together because this was somebody who was a competitor with us was an issue we knew we had and when we were testing it actually the day before uh, we were giving a preview to some people. One of the people said, I think it's like you're asking me to put on the team I hate the most jersey. Wow. And so that actually <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a good well, glad that's a clear they, picture. <laughs> yeah. Glad they <laughs> they said it. Glad they did it. And it prompted us to do a quick idea, which is, you know, in football. If you were looking at my office, which you've seen, Jennifer, right? I got Packer stuff all over because I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, CEO of the company we merged with is a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. So we happened to dig, have people dig through our archives and found a picture of me with, with uh, a Packers jersey on at a Packer game and a picture of him with a Chiefs jersey on at a Chiefs game. And so the first slide... You know, that said, right, we might wear different jerseys, but we're on the same team now. And that became the rallying cry for us and was an easy way for people to understand and translate that maybe those feelings and emotions they did and why we thought we were better together. Right. Because we thought we were putting together a better team combined than we were individually. We overuse that analogy, but it helped us, right? And so that's an example of how that spurred, you know, the previewing and checking with people and getting those, you know, whatever wild reactions people have and help change your messaging even up to the last minute.
0: Well, and I guess you were both in Patriots land, so um, you had that in common.
1: (laughs) So we could both hate Tom Brady and the Patriots.
0: (laughs) What I really appreciate about Kevin's leadership style is his willingness to tackle tension head-on. He did not shy away from friction. Instead, he embraced it. But what Kevin did doesn't just work for him. It's backed by research. In my experience and the research we've conducted, one of the greatest barriers to a team that follows the leader is building trust. Over and over again, we have seen if the team doesn't trust their leader, for whatever reason that may be, they're not willing to take that leap of faith into change. Can you blame them? So, in being transparent about the tension his people felt, Kevin was able to diffuse that tension and build trust. Kevin speaks on how authenticity and humility have only helped him as a leader.
1: You know, as we mature as leaders, we we change our style or, or we learn things the hard way. I've heard people talk. But I learned myself that it's too hard to not be yourself and I can't be somebody else um, and I can't try to be somebody else as a leader. So you got to be yourself. Ryan and I also benefit from the fact that uh, for those of you who can see me, I, you know, I have the using the the famous phrase that, you know, God made a few perfect heads and the rest he put hair on. <laughs> I have zero hair, right? <laughs> And Ryan has down to his shoulders hair, right? Oh, that's great. So I think both of us, you know, not only rooting for different teams, but just in our hairstyles, you know, are different in how we approach. And I think that leads to his style works for him and for his people and for the combined team now. Uh, But neither one of us try to be somebody that we're not, right? And I think that's the biggest thing a leader can do and i tell people that come to me for mentoring all the time is you can learn from other people but you can't be somebody else right you have to be yourself and then you just have to learn how to better you know do that and i think transparency is another thing that i live with, which is we all like to put a positive spin on things and certainly in dealing with external audiences and boards and Companies of uh, the 150,000 people that I had at Accenture, the 1,500 people we have at Synity today, if you don't come through as real, right, it doesn't work. And number two, if you aren't transparent, and I'm not saying that people don't always try, especially when they're making a case for change, think about the positives, but you also got to be realistic about the negatives. Or the things that we have to manage together because stuff's going to happen. And if you aren't authentic, if you pretend everything's perfect, you pretend you always get it right, you pretend you get it all the uh, answers, it doesn't work. And so I think with change, I think that saying it's going to be bumpy, or we might have missed a few things and we're counting on you to help us. All those things are so important along establishing the credibility along with the case for change, and then managing yourself through it.
0: That's fantastic and great points and wonderful to hear that those um, experiences and lessons learned sort of put into action. So if you're a leader looking to build a case for change, what should you include in your messaging? What should it look like? What should go into it? Kevin shares the ingredients he feels are necessary.
1: For us, we're a very customer focused organization. As uh, I like to say, you know, last time I checked, all our revenue comes from our customers. The first thing we did was look at the customer and what did this mean for the customer and what we're trying to do that. That was closely followed and, you know, kind of one A, one B with our people. You know, I'm a believer that if it's good for the people and good for the team, we don't make widgets. So, If we were talking to somebody who makes widgets or makes some other product, it might be different. But when people are our product, you got to make sure it's good for the people. So you start with, why is it good for the customer? Why is it good for our people? And then you can take that all back to say, then why is it good for our shareholders, which is all of us? Why is it good for the board? and why they like it, and why is it good for the marketplace. And with us, we add partners in there, right? Because our teaming partners are a big part of what we do and our alliance relationships. So it's really trying to say, who are the affected people? And so I think probably the, the scientific way to do that would be to lay out your shareholder map and uh, you know make sure you touch every one of those points that you have. But for me, it's a lot about what's the philosophy of the company who are you trying to serve, who's important to you, and then look at what's the win in it for them or what the concerns they might have are and and how do we address it.
0: That is a great example. I, I really like that you take a look at those critical elements. And that is something that I have thought about even just with the direction that we as Consinity need to go. What's good for our consumers what's good for our customers what's good for our employees and then what does the world need and how do we how do we help provide service so that all of those things are aligned so I love that also you reflect that the last time you checked all your revenue was coming from your customers so that's a good point
1: yeah it's a simple thing that a lot of people lose track of along the way exactly you got to be able to uh to do that and to do that well so
0: exactly and I have to say, for our listeners, I am grateful that Synity is one of our wonderful clients and customers. So thank you very much, um, Kevin and team. We've we've so enjoyed working with you and the partnership is really lovely. So thank you.
1: And thank your team because your team was part of making it all work and, uh, and helping us make sure we were asking the right questions. And we were smart enough to know that, you know, while doing M&A with data, is our business, right? Probably 40% of our business is doing mergers and acquisitions, data migrations, consolidations, spin outs, all the rest of it. It's hard to operate on yourself. And, you know, data is only one piece of it, right? There's other things that need to be done on those. And so, you know, we reached to somebody we knew and trusted who could help uh, guide us, bring us us best practices and tell us when we weren't, uh, doing a good job
0: well thank you very much switching gears for a moment i wondered if kevin has encountered challenges with leadership when building the case for change he tells me how he has helped align leaders with the values of the company to go forward his answer circles back to his previous example the department in europe that he described that had discrepancies in how much change was actually needed
1: That particular leader, who was a terrific guy, you know, he isolated his team from most other pressures, and he thought that was his job, to isolate his team, keep them away from the pressures. So, you know, when I stepped in and started to talk to them, they were in very different places over what change was needed. And so a big part of that, for me, was working through with them, okay, change is needed and significant change is needed. And, you know, I really think this is the direction that we need to head. And you got to be willing to have those conversations with people and frankly, get to the point where, you know, if people don't agree with, you know, where you're going or what you're headed or your perception, you got to listen to them. But in the end, somebody's got to decide. So leadership alignment. You know, I've personal opinion. I'm not a huge fan of consensus. I am a huge fan of debate and decision. Um, I think consensus, in my experience, takes too much time in a market that's moving fast. But I also don't think that you can have a dictator who's saying, go here and everybody disagrees, especially there, um, because then you've got some bigger leadership problems. So you know, when you came in and people said, without giving you know names and details, but people would say, hey, I think we need a leader like this, which is X, Y, and Z. Kinder, gentler, softer, enables leads from the front. Somebody else would say, "I we need a new leader that is hard driving, charging, will tell us what to do, will make quick decisions, right? When we need to, because... We got to change things around, and then everybody else is somewhere else on the spectrum. You got to look through those, and then you got to ultimately decide what you think is best for the business, and then get people aligned behind it. And frankly, unsurprisingly, we had you know two of that leadership team of ten leave within the first six months of the new leader coming in, which to me is expected and healthy. Could you get everybody there? Yes, in a perfect world. But people want different things and want to head in different directions. So you've got to kind of have the debate and then decide the direction. And then everybody's got to get behind it or the people that aren't behind it need to self-select from the organization.
0: Great points. Great points. And looking to his vast experience, Kevin relays what he believes will help the business, the leaders, and the organization not just survive, but also thrive and changes.
1: One of the things uh, you were kind enough to mention that I do have a podcast uh, also that I started pre-pandemic. I think that I've had a lot of great guests on there and I, I take something and it's great as I think you probably get when you're the person asking the questions and you get to listen to the answers because you get a whole bunch of great answers, right, from different people. I interviewed uh, Joe Tucci, who's uh, the co-founder of the PE firm. Uh, And Joe's just a terrific guy. You know, he's forgotten more things about business than most of us will ever learn. Very reflective and steps back. And so we were talking about M&A. And right, he did tons of M&A along the way. And I asked him, what's the one thing that you think you have to get right in M&A? And this is something that I that I've used with other people, and I think would be the the best advice I can part to people. Which is, he said, find people that think about the world the way you do, because everything else is a detail. If you think about the world in the same way, and that doesn't mean you have exactly the same vision uh, or exactly the same details about how to get there, or all the other stuff, but. If you're looking at we're in this marketplace, let's just take an easy example right now for everybody at COVID. If if you're with somebody and you're trying to buy their company and you talk about COVID and they say, well, we think everything's going to go back to the way it was, right? Most of us don't think that that's true and it's going to be a new world. But my sense is if somebody thinks that differently than you do, you're never going to come to common ground, not on COVID, which is not important or the future, but on all kinds of other issues. So that phrase of finding people who think about things the way you do, right? Meaning you're not the same, not meaning you're not, you know, don't look for the same, don't look for the same answers, don't look for anything. But that think generally about the world and how it's going to change, I think makes a huge difference. And I think that's true with picking leaders that are working for you. They don't have to have the same background. They don't have to have the same outlook, but they have to have the same general direction. Otherwise, you'll spend too much time fighting about that and not enough time uh, getting the organization put together.
0: Great, great advice. And for our listeners, I highly encourage you to go out and check out this podcast. It's, um, I guess you would call CEO to CEO, right? Kevin, that's what you support. But there is another aspect to the podcast, CDO to CDO. I mean, you, maybe give our give our listeners a little word or a little teaser on what is this all about? And we will include it in our show notes for sure.
1: Yeah, on Synity, one of the things we were always looking for is new ways to get our message out, right? And one of the things that I... Started, you know, a little bit before the pandemic was this idea of talking to other CEOs and talk about mergers and acquisitions and what they did, managing people, complex problems, those type of things. And I've had a wide range of CEOs on former, current, all the way from, you know, people that are being successful in Africa to people that have been successful in a wide range of companies. But we also turn that into a family of podcasts, right? So my chief data officer talks to other chief data officers about what their priorities are, what things are going on. As you mentioned, that's CDO to CDO. We also have a CFO to CFO, where uh, we have somebody who uh, works as a consultant to us, but we've done a lot of work with him, David Axum, who does a CFO to CFO. Uh, kind of uh, podcast. And there may be more coming out from there. But again, you know, it's a chance for people to hear the messages and how we think about things at Synody, but also really important to learn from each other.
0: I, I think it's brilliant. And one of the things that I have enjoyed in listening to these, the different interviews is to discover some of the common challenges that that people face and hearing how that individual has addressed that challenge or what have they done to address that challenge. So, I mean, it's it's hard to get all of that information in sort of a, a one-stop shop, but you managed to do it on your podcast. So I highly recommend that our listeners go out and check that out. So
1: thanks. I really enjoy doing it and I've learned a lot, which is always the best thing, right?
0: Right, Exactly. Well, Kevin, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate that you took the time. I'm grateful for your insights and ideas. And it's been a pleasure working with you and the whole Synity team. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks for having me on and uh, enjoyed talking to you about the the case for change. Because I think as a leader, it's probably the single most important thing to do to move your organization along is to be able to establish what the case for change is.
0: Couldn't agree more. Thank you everyone for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.